Excellent. Thanks so much. Good morning, Northwest. How are you this morning? Excellent. It's great to be back. <clears throat> it's wonderful to be back. Um, we just came back from India with a team of people. We went out to India to the church in India. Many of you remember the pastors, William and Hepzibah, who were here. And uh, we had a chance to do a business conference out there. So um, I also was speaking to uh, Pastor Ted from Canada, and then we stopped off in Scotland on the way back. Um, so hands up who wants to come with us on the next trip, and we'll just hit all countries. Well, I'm well, in, I'm in. Um, so I have to bring greetings from Canada. They said, hey. I have to bring greetings back from Scotland. They say, hey. And I have to bring greetings back from India for you as well, and they give you a head bubble. There you go. That's what you got. So uh, a special welcome to you if you're broadcasting in right now uh, from any of those countries. Uh, forgive me for my offensing, my, my offenses to you. Um, we're, we're, we're so grateful for you to, to, to dial in to us this morning and be a part of our service. Are you ready to get into teaching this morning about love? Who doesn't love love? Love is an awesome thing. And this morning I want to talk about um, a, a specific topic that will uh, be on in a second when I turn this thing on. And it's gonna be called Building a Home Where Love Lives. Building a Home Where Love Lives. And uh, I want to talk about several things this morning that um, I really feel that God had been uh, speaking to me about. And uh, I want to look at two specific things about what can either sustain or undermine a, a home where love lives. Now, I'm gonna come back to that just in a few minutes towards the end of this teaching um, because I, I, I feel like I need to uh, uh, talk about uh, the walls that actually make a good home or house where love lives. And I'm gonna look at them specifically one by one. And I'm using the analogy of a house in order to talk about the spiritual principles and the emotional principles um, of, of making a strong home or a strong marriage. And then as I was looking at this, I noticed that I really started to see four things that I thought were very important to help to make a home strong in and itself. And um, you'll see them here on the, the little picture that we've got. And that is family, it's about income, it's about ownership, and it's about integration. And so I'm gonna look at them one by one and you'll have to just forgive me if it seems like four mini sermons in one. You'll just have to drink more coffee and try and keep up with what I'm saying this morning. So let's look at those things one by one. Number one, Looking at the family. The family is where kids need a permanent, predictable, peaceful home. A permanent, predictable, peaceful home. The family, of course, is about the spouse, it's about kids, it's about extended family. When you read in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, one of the commands that are actually given to us is honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, if you're like me, you would have read that as in the way of honor your father and your mother so that you may live long. That's where how most of us actually read it. It's about if I honor my mother and father, then I will have longevity of life. But that's not actually the entire story. It says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. So it's not about longevity of life, it's about where you live. 
And so one of the things that Crystal and I have noticed over the years as we have uh, counseled and, and mentored many marriages, we've discovered that if a person comes from a household that has, um, a, a doesn't have a, 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 a constant in their household, doesn't have a, a constant predictable and peaceful household, they tend to have a, a discomfort within them. They tend to become unsettled people. And what we found that when you become a person who is constantly moving or constantly having to change in your family, then you, it makes for an unsettled adulthood. You see, when the Jews were actually given this, this uh, particular command, they were actually wanderers in the desert. They were wandering everywhere because they didn't have a home and they couldn't settle. It's not like they said, hey, this part of the wilderness will settle in this part of the wilderness and we'll stay here for 40 years until we cross over the Jordan to the promised land. No, it says they moved around this wilderness. They were wanderers. And what God was saying is, if you actually obey this particular command to make your family uh, uh, be built on a foundation of honour, you'll be able to have the security of putting your roots down in a place that makes you feel settled. It makes you feel peaceful. And, and I believe that what God wants to do with families is He wants to make us families that are not constantly wandering or trying to figure out where's my place in the world. Sometimes what we found is when we're counseling marriages, we often find that maybe if, if, if one of the spouses or both of the spouses actually come from a family that was a broken family where they didn't have a permanent place to live and they kept on moving and moving and moving, that's now built inside of them themselves. And so every one year or two years, they'll often change where they live or they're changing their vocation. This is something that I find very, uh, uh, very much like a pattern that a person that keeps having to change their job has a level of unsettledness within themselves. It's, it's something that, that children need to have. They need to know that their dad is settled, that their mother is settled, that their home is settled, that their income is settled, that things are settled in their life so that they can start putting down, uh, they can start putting down roots themselves emotionally in their own childhood. Are you following me so far? It's something that is very important that when you're building the wall in your, in your household of a family, it's got to be permanent, predictable, and peaceful for the sake of your children's futures. Number two, the second wall that I believe is a supporting wall that creates a home of love is the wall of income. Income is about a permanent, predictable, peaceful income. Um, it's, about, you know, it's about vocation. Of course, it's also about education as well. And in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 30 to 31, it says, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. Now, I don't know how many of you have actually read this before. It, it seems like to some degree, if you read that verse by itself, it seems like it's giving permission to be able to steal whatever you need to steal as long as it's for hunger. Because it just said, no one despises you. If you're stealing things in order to feed your children and feed yourself, no one will despise you. But look at the next verse. It says, yet... If he is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it costs him all the wealth of his, what does that word say? House. What's the wealth of your house? Well, partly it's your house, it's your marriage, it's your children, it's your savings, it's your investments, it's your reputation in the community. That's the wealth of your house. 
Now, I've, I'm amazed how many people I've spoken to over the years who have told me that they don't pay taxes because they can't afford to pay taxes. Well, I do all my business under the table because I just, I'm not making ends meet and I can't pay my bills. And you know, you may induce a certain level of sympathy within people, but you will not be immune to prosecution when the government catches up with you. The same is true with tithing, where the Bible says that God has told us that we are meant to actually tithe to, the, to, to His house. And He's saying, you have not, you've been stealing from me, is what Malachi says. And so people who say, I can't afford to tithe, even though the Bible has told me to tithe, you may have sympathy that, has come, that comes to you from your brothers and sisters in Christ because you can't afford to tithe, but you're not immune to the prosecution that comes to your household because of it. It's, I'm, I'm sorry if this sounds like a harsh word to you today, but this is God's word to us. And if we want to have a strong household, a peaceful household of love in our lives, this wall matters. Now, the other side of the pendulum when it comes to, uh, when it comes to money is that money also, the income, your business also must be balanced with a Sabbath rest a time when you're able to recover once a week in our lives. Now I know that I've, I've looked at some statistics and it says that an, uh, on average between the, ages of 12, for, between the ages of 18 years old and 67 years old, the average amount of hours that a person will work is 92,000 hours in their working life. Only about 2,500 of those hours is actually spent anywhere near inside of a church. Now, 92,000 hours works out to be about 22% of your life. About 33% of your life is actually sleeping. For some of you, maybe that's about 50% of your life that's sleeping, right? Hands up, yeah, no, no. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so 33% is maybe made up of sleeping. 22% is made up of working. But some of us may turn that 22% into way too much percentage in working. And it's not because you're working so hard during the week, but it's simply because you don't take a Sabbath rest. You don't take that one day to put back into your own life and your family's life and take a flipping rest as God told us to. You know what the amazing thing is about the Sabbath day? It's one of the commands. And it's like right beside the whole command about murdering which I find fascinating. So wait a second, we agree on the murder. Don't murder people, don't steal from them. Don't steal someone else's wife. Oh yeah, we all agree on that. But the Sabbath day, ah! But I really need to catch up on some work. Yet it's one of the commands. Remember we said about a few weeks ago, the whole point of what God was teaching the Israelites in the desert was that He was teaching them how to live with each other and how to live with Him. That's the whole point. Before He gave them the inheritance of the promised land, He was teaching them how to live with each other and how to live with them. A Sabbath day is not just about living with God, it's about what we also bring to our own family, the peace that we bring into our household. And so it's important for us to understand. And in Hebrews chapter verse four, chapter four, verse nine to 11, it says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish. What's the result of not going into rest? Perish. That's quite a it's quite a strong kind of term to say, if you're skipping out on taking a rest, you're gonna bring this demise to your own household. I've seen it happen where people who have worked too long, too much, and it breaks up relationships within the household. 
Let's look at number three. The third one is what I call ownership. This is about permanent, predictable, predictable peaceful spending. Of course, it's about your houses, it's about your cars, it's about your belongings, it's about how you take care of those things. But it's really about how you spend money. Income is about what's coming into your house. Uh, outco- uh, uh, um, the ownership is all about how you actually assign that money to the things that you have. Sometimes we have found discord within marriages because one of them is a spender and the other one is a saver, Right? Anyone want to put their hands up and point to their spouse which one they are? Right, okay, so, so one of them is the really super frugal, we like to make the money and we want to get the money, but we don't want to spend the money. But the other one is, hey, we should just spend the money everywhere, right? They're not frugal, they're frivolous, okay? But I'm not saying that one is better than the other, I'm just saying if there's a discord there, it causes problems in that wall in your house and it causes conflict and the house is not properly protected because you're not in agreement. I'm not here to tell you how you should spend your money, but I'm here to tell you, you have to be in agreement on how you spend your money. Because if you're not, it always creates conflict in the household and you lose the strength and the protection of that wall that should be provided to you. Proverbs verses 22 verse seven says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now I'm not saying that ownership is about putting trust into things, even though owning things is about, safe, is, is about you know, your future. It's, about, it's good to own your house. It's good to own the things that you've got. I'm not here to tell you that, uh, that ownership is somehow going to give you the safety in your life. We know that these things will fade away, but this is more about safeguarding our future through stewardship. Let me say it again. It's about safeguarding our future through stewardship. Because in Luke verse 16, chapter 16, verse 10, it says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. If anything that we know as parents, we are not just trying to feed our children today, we're trying to lay up for their futures. We're trying to build a safe and secure future, not only for ourselves, but for our children's futures, right? You agree with that? So this is something that is very important to us. I'm not trying to say that buying or renting is the better way to to do this, which way you should go. It's simply about stewardship. So if you want to build a very strong household where love can grow, you have to have good stewardship of the stuff that you own. Number four, the last one, integration. This is about proper, peaceful connection to the world. Proper, peaceful connection to the world. Now, what I find is many people will create, many families will create their opinions about the world through what they see on TV or in media. And now, it's, I, I'm, I'm all for TV. I like watching TV, right? But the one thing I won't want to do is I don't want to actually have my opinions or my thoughts dictated by what television tells me or what, or, or what YouTube tells me or what Facebook tells me about what Donald Trump said about the world, right? I don't really care about that stuff. I want to know what God wants me to think about the world. And I've, I've been in places where people have had, even spoken to people here in America, and they have such strong opinions about the way that Britain is, but they've never actually been to Britain or lived there themselves. 
and vice versa. It's amazing how we have strong opinions about how other countries exist and what in the way they are. And well, we wouldn't want to be a part of them. They're terrible over there. We don't want anything to do with their political system, but they've never actually experienced it. I've had that myself when we were actually coming back with my team from Scotland. And, um, and as we were going through the airport to leave Scotland to come over to America, um, one of the immigration officers came up to us and he goes, all right, lads, what, uh, so what are you doing here today? Where are you going? We're going to America. And he's like, right, so uh, what were you doing here in Scotland? I said, well, I actually live here and I was just here. I used to, uh, I come from Scotland and uh, we're just visiting my mom in, in Scotland, just seeing it, eating the fish and chips. You know what I'm saying? You know, that's good. And he's like, oh, you're right. So you only came for three days. Well, no, we actually were in India as well. And then we, stepped, we stopped off on the way, you know, in Scotland back home. He's like, and so where, where is it you're going again? We're going to, we're going to America. And he's like, we wouldn't want to live there, would I? <laughs> okay. I didn't say anything. And he said, um, he said, the healthcare system's terrible there. See, in Britain, we have a free healthcare system. Everyone's taken care of. But in America, you've got to pay for it yourself. All these people getting sick, they can't be taken care of. And I thought this. Now, inside myself, I wanted to say, excuse me, have you ever lived there? Because if you've never lived there, you have no right to have an opinion about something you've never been a part of. So you're a very bad example of what Scots are, my birth country, and you're a very bad example to my friends over here who are Americans. So why don't you shut your cake hole? But I didn't say that. I didn't say that because I didn't want to end up in handcuffs and not get back on my flight, right? <laughs> Wisdom is so good within us, right? <clears throat> but my point is, is when you only understand another people group or another country or another race or another side of town, it's easy to have an opinion about the other side of Orlando and what they're like and who they are and what they're like and their opinions and their emotions and how you feel about them because you only talk about them or get information about them through other people or through other means, especially the television. The problem with this is that dysfunctional connection to the world creates either inclusivity or exclusivity. Inclusivity basically means, well, everyone's right. Everyone's, everyone has a right to what they think is right. So it's okay to have the whole same-sex marriage because that's the way people are. If that's what they want, that's good for them. But my Bible says it's not. So I can't be dictated to what I believe by what the televisionist is telling me. I want to, I want to be dictated what I believe with what God is actually telling me. But the other side is true where you become so exclusive, you have opinions that everybody else is wrong, but only you are right. The way we live is right. The way they live is absolutely wrong, like that immigration officer uh, uh, spoke in terms of. So we don't want to be in that type of manner. It's our job that we actually have to uh, understand and learn that God is calling us to service because service is how we actually take on the spirit of Christ. Let me show you. When Jesus was actually walking in the desert and he was with, uh, he was with these um, with his gang, his crew, his buddies, the 12, right? They were walking around and it said the 5,000 followed them in order to actually be taught by him. And it got to the point where, he was, where they were hungry. And it says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Look at that. When he saw the crowds is when he had compassion. 
He wasn't walking around with, I just, I just feel, I'm feeling really good today. I just really, I just really wanna bless someone today. Oh, I just feel it within myself. And then someone came his way and then he blessed them. No, he got into the middle of them and then he started to feel compassion for them. It's amazing how, it's amazing how we can have an opinion about other people groups or other countries or, you know, when you see things on the news and you're like, oh, these idiots over there, the, you know, the South Americans or the Russians or the Canadians or the Europeans, look at them, they don't know what they're doing, but you've never taken the time to allow the Spirit of God to come upon you so that you can feel His heart for those people because He died for them just as much as He died for you, Right? And so if you cannot expect yourself to feel what God feels until you're with those people. If you want to have truly a house of love, you might have great security and peace within your household, but you will be missing that house of love that goes to the level of God's heart if you've never allowed the world to properly integrate with you and you integrate with the world, okay? This is something that is very important to me. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so let's look at these two things that, um, um, that I, uh, I want to come back to. The four walls are very important in our house, but one of the things that I've found is that, and we're going to actually play a video for you right now, and it's about the foundation of the house. You know, we know the foundation is very important. If the foundation isn't laid properly, and you can see this kind of time-lapse sped up video of them uh, putting this foundation in. Now, you can look at this video and see the foundation, they've actually dug the footers, which are like the trenches, and those are like the deeper levels for the walls to sit on, because the walls need to be sitting on something that is very strong, very true, very flat. And if you're gonna ask a Christian, what is the foundation of your home? You would say, well, Christ is the foundation of my home, right? We would agree with that. And we're not just saying that Jesus himself is lying down on us and we're all sitting on top of him, but we're saying his ways, his spirit, his morality is what we build our house on. And if the foundation is not true and it's not strong, then the walls start to be affected by the strength of the foundation. So if your morality is not true, where it's no problem to be sleeping around with other people, then that wall of family is going to crumble and it'll crack because because it can't stand on multiple relationships. If, you're, if your morality is such that you have no problem with stealing from the government and stealing from God, your income will start to crack as well because God can't bless that wall because it's not on the foundation of Christ and so on. But as I was looking at this foundation, there was one thing I really started to notice that was so important that Crystal and I have really started to discover over the years as we have mentored and counseled many marriages. And it's this, do you see all the pipes that are coming in through the foundations? Now, of course, if you're, if you're from a different part of the world, a different country, maybe you build your houses differently, but when it comes to building a house in Florida, the inflow and the outflow comes through the foundation. Christ might be our foundation, but there are two things that flow through this foundation that is all about you. The reason why I'm talking about this this morning it's because I have come across too many marriages and I'm, learn, I'm, I'm actually speaking from somewhat experience with marriages in my family back in Scotland where they had strong walls. They had good relationships with their children. They had good income. 
They had good integration with the community and a good reputation. And they, they had good spending habits as well. They were laying up for the future. And you could say, ah, what's going to make this house strong is that they're built on a firm foundation of Jesus Christ. They go to church. They follow the right ways of, of what the Bible tells them. And they're actually trying to actually make their house strong. But they were, still had their marriage fall apart. And I asked the question, Why? And as I look back on hindsight of the things that we started to notice of what undermines a foundation or what actually sustains that foundation is the inflow and the outflow that goes through that foundation. What am I talking about? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I'm talking about the processing of your emotions. When water comes in your house, it's meant to quench you. It revives you. It heals you. When you take a shower, you don't go to work and then have to shower at work. You usually shower at home. If you've been at work all day or you've been out in the world, you, you gather some level of grime or dirt from the world. Then you go home and you refresh yourself at home. You shower often at home. And it's very important for us to shower. And if you don't shower, you should start showering, right? And it's very important for us to shower. But that shower has to go somewhere. That dirt and that grime has to go somewhere. And so therefore there has to be an outflow. And we know that even from the toilet or the shower or the sink or wherever it is, that goes through the sewage line. It goes out and down through the sewage line. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says, but those who wait on the Lord shall, what does that word say? Renew their strength. Now the original understanding or meaning of that word is to exchange, to move forward, to grow up, to be over. I love the meaning of this word. I love the meaning of this word because this describes everything about the inflow and the outflow through that foundation. Those who wait upon the Lord shall move forward with their strength. They shall grow up in God's strength. They shall get over stuff through God's strength. They shall exchange who they are and the junk that they've got for the strength and the presence of Christ within themselves. This is something that is very important for us because what I find is every house has some emotional junk. Some, you're always gonna have stresses on one of the walls or your family's got stress or your in-laws are stressing you out or your income is having some stress or your property's having stress. There's always gonna be stresses. And we could say, but I'm standing on Jesus Christ. That's wonderful you're standing on Jesus Christ. But there always has to be a way of what you have to, how you process the junk that is within you that is possibly possibly causing the stresses that are in those walls. It's on you to have to process that junk. How did you grow up in a household where there was a stink in the household because when dad was at work all day, he had a tough day at work and when he came home, he was slamming doors or he was just getting angry and taking it out on the kids. Have you ever had that before? So your, your father was actually taking it out on everybody else. And it's like, you come home after school and go, what's that smell? And there's like a stink in the household because one of your parents is upset. Or maybe your mother was an internalizer where she was upset and she would just kind of shut down and she would withhold her love and affection from everybody because she was upset about something. So she would just internalize it because she was mad and she was leaving a stink in the household. It's amazing how children start to be affected by the way that you process your junk in your life. 
And if you don't learn how to process your emotional junk in your life, you're leaving it for someone else to clean up. Now, many of you maybe had roommates or maybe your spouse is like this, but I remember having a roommate where, where he would go in for a shave and he would shave himself, right, on the sink and he would shave himself and then he would leave all the speckles of his shavings on the sink still and then he would just get dressed and then go off to work. And I'm like, what is going on here? I'm not here to clean up your junk on the sink, right? I even had another roommate, when he went for a whiz, he would splash all over the place. Yeah, have you ever been to a bathroom that's like that? It's disgusting. And what I find is sometimes what one spouse will do is they'll put up with the emotional junk and mess of their other spouse and they'll keep cleaning up after them. But what they learn is this, before I can clean up my own junk, I have to clean up theirs first before I can clean up my own stuff. So it's like going into the bathroom after someone's whizzed all over the toilet and you literally have to clean it off before you can use the toilet yourself. Marriages can end up being the same way where one of the spouses that are constantly have to clean up after the other person will eventually say, I'm done with this. I'm out. Some of you have probably experienced that yourself. Where halfway through your marriage, you're like, I'm done babysitting this. I don't want to clean up your crap in the bathroom anymore. You're infecting everything. It's causing me double work. It's now affecting the children. It's stinking up the place. I'm done with this marriage. But wait, 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 wait. Your income was strong. Your family relationships were strong. Your foundation was on Jesus Christ. You had a good reputation in the community. You were connected to the world. You had, a, you had good expenditure. You weren't in debt. You were going to church. What happened here? It's because one of them got sick and tired of the other one's junk. Hello? Some of you have experienced that yourself. And I'm telling you that if you don't start to process the crap that is in your life properly with Jesus Christ, eventually your spouse will be tired of you and they'll be done with it. Some spouses, what they do is they wait until the children are grown up and then they'll choose to leave because they feel a responsibility to the children. I admire that. I don't think, I think it's a good thing to do is to be there for your children. But eventually, when you stop uh, being able to have a proper relationship with your spouse, that's when love is dying. But you've got all the strong walls, you've got all the great foundation but your junk is not being properly processed. And when the house stinks up, you don't want to be a part of it anymore. I was thinking this morning, <clears throat> if there's one thing that I could change in my life, what would it be? And I realized the one thing that I'd be willing to change in my life if I could do it, is I would go back and get remarried to Crystal again. Because what I know now about her I greatly admire and appreciate. I would love to experience it from the beginning again because I didn't appreciate her as much as I should have at the beginning. And I asked myself this question, what stopped me from appreciating who she really was? And I realized it was my own junk. Because when it's in front of your face, you can't see the wonder of the person that's right in front of you. I had this very experience myself where it doesn't actually have to be an issue about your marriage, it can just be an issue about yourself. And I remember when, I, when we first got married and we were renting a place and we wanted to buy our own place and, and, and uh, start having children. And I, and I remember being very uh, frustrated and worried about that, that, that prospect. 
And I was up at about two or three in the morning, just walking out in the neighborhood and I was frustrated. I'm like, God, I can't, I can't do this and I can't do that. And I don't have enough money and the church is not paying me enough. And then I blurted out what I really thought. And I said, you're the worst paying boss. There you go. <laughs> that came out. Hey, hey God. <laughs> Want to keep my job though, you know what I'm saying? And as I started walking around and thinking about it, and I'm like, where the heck did that come from? And as I was thinking about it, I'm like, and I knew that God started speaking to me and showed me that it wasn't his fault. And I'm thinking, then whose fault is it? Is it my, is it my dad's fault? Is it my fault? It's Pastor Mark's fault. He's not paying me enough. That's the problem right there. And it wasn't. It's because there was something inside of me that I didn't like talking about money, thinking about money, handling money. And it took me a few years to realize there's something within me that must change because if I don't change this, it's eventually going to affect my household because I wasn't just, uh, uh, um, I wasn't just uh, against the whole idea of money simply because it was a theology, even though I might have justified it by that. It was an inadequacy within myself. And when you have an inadequacy within yourself, you'll justify it and then you'll give reasons of why you believe you are that way and why you act that way. But your spouse is the one who has to reap the rewards or the curses of your choices, of you not dealing with your own junk. And eventually I knew that there's gonna be a point where Crystal goes, why am I married to this guy? Why is it we can't look after our own house? Why is it we can't be out of debt? Why do we have to worry about where we're going to get the next dollar to be able to look after our children? I was going to give her reason to not want to be with me because she was the one who's going to have to clear up my junk. Now, what I did was I found a mentor, someone who actually helped me to flush this out of me, not just to learn business and how to learn money, but how to flush out those inadequacies within myself. And now it's not an issue for me. And even though there are, might be some other issues, I have someone that I'm mentored by. Here's the cool thing. In a few months' time, and maybe about two months' time, we're actually going to be doing a whole marriage and family class at the Northwest U, and it's called Marriage Refreshed. And the reason why we're doing this is because we want to see you have the tools to make your marriages successful. We don't want you just to be great in business and just be a regular attender to church. We don't want you just to have all the things that seem to be good that make a strong household. We want you to truly have the tools to be able to flush out the junk inside of yourself and allow the refreshing into yourself. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, move forward, grow up, be over. They shall exchange what they've got with Christ. Father, we're asking this morning, we're asking, Father, that you would give us the wisdom and give us the foresight to accept what you're going to show inside of us. We ask, Father, that you would give us the, 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 the words that will free us. Help us, Lord, how to know how to unblock those pipes that we have gotten clogged up with our junk. Father, we ask that you would forgive us for leaving some junk over for our spouses to have to clean up. Father, we'd ask you would even forgive our parents for leaving a whole bunch of junk and junky habits left over in our lives that we seem to not get rid of. But Lord, we know that you're a good God who shows us the way 
The good news is that you're both God and man. You know how God the Father works and you know how humans work. So we can trust you by following your steps forward. And we pray, Father, that you would open up the door to us to see where we need to clear some stuff out and we need to be rid of some crap that has just gathered on top of us to wash it off of ourselves, and then get it out of this household, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray you would help us to fill up our homes with love so that we have strong families, strong incomes, strong homes in this church. We ask in your precious son's name and all God's people said, amen. May God bless you and keep you and make his face to shine.